0: Well, what a joy it is to listen to the choir and watch you. I watch some of you. I can tell that you're just worshiping the Lord. Some of you singing along. And uh, I'm blessed by that. Well, the Gallup Poll did a study in which they said that the average church member knows 40 people in the congregation by name. There are 11 or 12 in a circle of closeness that we have. And then there is one or maybe two who are our close friends. I think that's probably a pretty accurate study that has been done. We don't know nearly as many people as we think we do. Now, we all understand the importance of friend and we desire friendships, but how do we have them? When President Truman was in office, he said, if you want a friend in this town, get a dog. Sometimes we feel that that's the only way we're going to to have a friend. Frank Clark wrote, to enjoy a friend, I need more in common with him than hating the same people what is the basis then for friendship? If we want to have friends, what is the basis for friendship? And I would say probably one is common experience. We we are attracted to those people who have a common experience with us. Perhaps it's a, a geographic location. We come from the same geographic area. Linda and I were in London last year, and... We went to a store to buy some gifts, and we're looking around. There were two girls over there. The girls, they were probably 30 years old or somewhere around that age. But they were trying some stuff on, and then one of them said, where is that southern accent coming from? And I started looking around, but she came over to me, and she said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from South Carolina. She said, I knew it. She grabbed me and hugged me. And I said, where are you from? She said, "I'm from Tennessee. I live in Spain, but but I'm I'm from Tennessee." I said, "Really? My daughter-in-law's from Tennessee." She said, "Where?" And I said, "Chattanooga." She said, "That's where I'm from." What's her name? What was her maiden name? And I said, "Emily Henniger." She said, "Up on Lookout Mountain." And I said, "That's right." So we're in this store. We've never seen each other before, but we became good friends right there. <laughs> you see, that happens because we had this common this common geographic location. Probably Linda and I understand each other better because we grew up in the same little town. Or maybe it's an education experience. You went to the University of South Carolina or maybe Clemson University or the Citadel or somewhere, and you have this relationship, this connection with those people that is conducive to a friendship. I was talking with a friend of mine last week. I was on the phone with him for an hour and a half now. As they say back home, he's an, he's an all-man. He's in the all-business down in Texas. And so we talked and so on. But the reason we have a connection is because we went to the same high school. So there is this experience that we share in common. Maybe it's a professional experience or you go to the same church. But those experiences we have in common lend themselves to a potential friendship. Or maybe it's a common interest. You have an interest with someone. For instance, my wife and Janie, my granddaughter, they are best friends because they both love to shop. Now, I'm, I'm not included on that because I don't love to shop. But they're, they're friends because they have that experience that they share. They they like to shop. Or maybe it's sports, for instance. Hughes out here likes anybody who likes sports. If you like sports, I mean, you're his best friend because he likes sports. Maybe it's politics. Well, in The New Testament, there are over a hundred people mentioned in connection with the Apostle Paul. So apparently he had some friends, and today as we continue our study in the book of Philippians, we're going to look at friends. Take your Bible's turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him of the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient, in your service to me. Now, in these verses, it seems to me in part that Paul is speaking about friendship, and that's what I want us to look at today. First is the quality of friends. Friends enhance our lives and they make us stronger. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Andrew competed in the Special Olympics. He ran the 220. It was time for the 220 race. And the gun was sounded. The racers began. The runners started. And it wasn't long until Andrew was 50 yards in front of everybody else. He was faster than everybody else. He was running and people were yelling, run, Andrew. And he happened to look around and saw that his best friend had fallen. He stopped. He went back, lifted up his friend. And hand in hand, they crossed the finish line dead last. Friends are faithful. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Deceitful kisses. I, I think you understand that that refers to a pretend friend, someone who pretends to be a friend who really is not. Probably the person who would immediately come to our minds is Judas because he pretended to be a friend of Jesus. He pretended to be involved with the disciples. He pretended to be one of them. And he literally betrayed Jesus with a kiss. In Matthew 26, 49 it says, And immediately he went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. So Judas then literally betrayed Jesus, pointing him out. Literally betraying him with a kiss. I think that politicians sometimes can be guilty of deceitful kisses. When they're running for office, they have time for you. They talk with you. They come see you. They do all those things. Then they're elected to office and now they won't take your call. It seems to me that maybe they were not genuine. That They were deceitful kisses. We all have fair weather friends. Those people who are our friends... Until we need something. There are those people who are our friends, but they are pretend friends. They are only our friends when it is advantageous to them. So he mentions deceitful kisses and faithful wounds. Frank Clark wrote, A valuable friend is one who will tell you what you should be told, even if it offends you. Would you agree with that? A valuable friend is someone who will tell you the truth, even if you don't want to hear it. I went to see my doctor not long ago, Dr. Reinhardt. They took me back in this little room, you know, where they take you. I think I was there for an hour and 15 minutes before he came I'm just teasing about that. He, but I was back in this little room. Dr. Reinhardt came in. He sat down. And he said, now, Pastor, I'm not here as your friend today. I'm here as your doctor. Well, when we got through with the examination, I was looking for a friend. But, you know, <laughs> you, you want a doctor who is going to be truthful with you, not someone who just makes you feel good. And let me say to the children and to the students, Understand, when your parents hold you responsible for your actions, you may not like it, but they're being a faithful friend to you. When your parents hold you responsible for your actions, they may be faithful wounds because they really care about you. Even if you don't like it, they really care about you. A pastor who tells the truth from God's Word is a faithful friend. Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, and he said, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Folks, it is important that we are faithful. If we are a true friend, then we are faithful. And then a friend is also honest, and that is profitable. When a friend is honest with us, that is profitable because it challenges us to be more. When I was in high school, I worked for a man. His name was R.B. Faulkner. Apparently, I did something wrong. I can't imagine it, but apparently I did something wrong because he was chewing me out. And I remember, this is from high school, I remember him saying to me, Wendell, don't you think And my response was, I'm not paid to think. And he said, and that's the problem that you have. You don't think. But from that day, I usually think before I act. He taught me something. I I didn't particularly appreciate it, but he taught me something that one should think before one acts. It is profitable. An honest friend is valuable because they see things differently than you do. Do you have friends that are different from you? Most of my friends, the people I'm closest to, are very different from me. Charles Jackson, pastor of the Brooklyn Baptist Church, is a good friend. I mean, I love him with all my heart. But we don't see everything alike, and I have grown as a result of that relationship because he has told me how he sees things. I get to tell him how I see things, and I think we both have benefited as a result of it. One of my closest friends is John Norman. He is a trial attorney of all things. We're very different. He's a liberal. I'm not. We went to Washington. And while we were there, John, John was an officer in the uh, National Trial Lawyers Association. We went to the... Uh, He wanted me to go with him to the trial lawyer's building. So we went to the trial lawyer's building. And uh, everybody came out to see him because they knew who he was. And after it was over, we were going back. And he said, well, Wendell, did you enjoy going to the trial lawyer's building? And I said, John, I have never been around that many communists in my life. (laughs) Now, the, the point is, though, we may disagree, but he is a dear friend. I mean, I love him with all my heart. It is is profitable for us when uh, Governor Nye of Oklahoma is a dear friend of mine. I talked to him last week. He came out to see us, and we were talking about a politician. And I said, I I like this guy. He's really a a great guy, but I don't agree with him on all the issues. And and the governor said to me, said, well, well, if you want someone who agrees with you, then you ought to run yourself. And I said, well, the problem I have with that is sometimes I don't agree with me either. (laughs) But in our friends, if they are honest, then they are valuable to us. They are profitable to us because they stretch us. And then a friend is loyal. In Proverbs 27, 10, do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. You see, a true friend is loyal to you. Irma Bombeck said that a good friend is like toothpaste. There's always a little left. That's really true. If you have a loyal friend, a good friend, then there's always a little left. They are loyal to you. But now listen, especially you young people. A real friend is not only loyal to you. They're loyal to your family. And they will not become a wedge between you and your family. A real friend will not cause that kind of division. So we look at the qualities of friendship here. He says that a friend is faithful, honest, and loyal. And then we see the spirit of partnership with Timothy in verse number 19. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now, Paul met Timothy on his first missionary journey and led him to Christ. On his second missionary journey, he enlisted him in ministry as a helper. And so Paul and Timothy shared a partnership. Timothy had the spirit of a servant. In verse number 20, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Kindred spirit is two Greek words which means the same soul. And he is saying here that that Timothy is someone who has a servant spirit. He was not selfish. Because selfishness is sinfulness. 1 Corinthians says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. And selfishness divides people. Folks, those people who are selfish are divisive. They divide churches. They divide co-workers. They divide friends because it's all about me. They are selfish. That was not Timothy. He had the attitude of a servant. Verse 22, but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Now, it's obvious to me that Paul was proud of Timothy. He said he has a proven worth. His his commitment to the church in Philippi, Paul says, that says to me that he is valuable. He was committed to the church. He said he is a partner in the furtherance of the gospel. He shared the gospel with other people. He said he is a child serving his father. In other words, he says, Timothy's my son in the ministry. I know what that means. I know the special relationship from a son in the ministry. Eric, of course, is my my son. And uh, I am blessed by him. I am blessed by him as a son. I'm blessed by him as a fellow minister. But I have a other sons in the ministry Phil, philip over here was one of them he came back home now and i thank god for him but albert allen up in newberry we have a lot of sons in the ministry those people who gave their lives to the lord and then became ministers but that's what paul is saying about timothy He said he's he's my son in the ministry he has a servant spirit let me ask you a question do you have a servant's attitude Oh, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But just think about it. Do you have a servant spirit? When you come to church and you see a a mother coming in and she has a baby in one arm and a bag in another arm, she's trying to open the door or whatever she's doing, do do you go over and try to help her out a little bit? See, that's what a servant does. Whenever you look around and see someone, maybe you don't know who they are, but... You know they look a little lost. Do you try to make them feel welcome to the church and comfortable? One of the things I enjoy doing if I'm off, I go to church on Sunday and I just like to see how I feel when I go there. Can you imagine the intimidation of coming to this church the first time? What door do you go in? I mean, there's doors all around the block. What door do you go in? And when you go through that door, what's on the other side? I mean, it's an intimidating thing. And so when there's someone who welcomes you, It alleviates some of the concern that you have. That's um, LaRoe's story. She has a a group of greeters together, and that's what they do, just make people feel welcome. Dr. Shelberg, who uh, was a greeter for so many years, always had a bag of candy. Some of you shaking your head, I know. I looked for him, too. Whenever I came in, I didn't care if he greeted me or not. I was just looking for a piece of candy because he, he always kept that piece. But it made people feel welcome. Do you make people feel welcome? When you know someone is grieving, do they know that you care? One of the blessings to me some years ago, we were in Israel. We were by the wall. There were two, there were two gates there. Now, they are, they are um, uh, sealed up, but there were two gates. And the guide was talking to us, and he said, Now, that gate is the entrance, and that gate is the exit. You go in. Whenever you're going up, go up the steps. You go in. Whenever you're coming out, you come out here. He said, now, if a person were grieved, if they they were going through a a, a period of grief, he said, then they would go through the exit. And the people inside knew that they were grieving, and so they would surround them and pray for them and minister to them. When you see someone and you know that they are grieving, do they know you care? Timothy was a servant. He had the heart. Of a servant. Barclay said others might be consumed with selfish ambition and might be concerned with their own interest alone, but Timothy's one desire was to serve. You know what the benefit of that is of being a servant? When you serve others, you forget about your own problems. In fact, I'm going to give you a verse of Scripture. I hope you'll underline it in your Bible because it's a wonderful verse. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 10. And if you give yourself To the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. Isn't that a great verse? You see, as we minister to others, as we give ourselves to others, then we forget about our problems. And as we minister to others, then they want to minister to us. That's the reason everybody does whatever it is that Steve Phillips wants, because he ministers to them. And the reason you're not quite as helpful to me. <laughs> but that's a servant spirit. Then we see the joy of a relationship as we see Epaphroditus. He was a Gentile. He was a member of the church in Philippi, and his name means Charming. Paul saw him as a friend of value. Look at verse number 25. He says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Now, Paul obviously had a relationship with him. He said, he is my brother. That literally means from the same womb. He said, he's, my, he's like a brother to me. There are some of you can think of people and you say, that's, that's like a brother to me because of that special relationship. I had two brothers, Glenn, who's gone to be with the Lord, and Mark, who pastors in Houston. I know what it means to have a brother and to love a brother. And that's what Paul is saying concerning Epaphroditus. said, he's like a brother to me. It's a special relationship. He said, he's a fellow worker. Paul is saying that I can count on him. He is a fellow worker. He, he works alongside. He, he also is willing to, to do his part. He said he is a fellow soldier. Barclay wrote, Epaphroditus was one with Paul in sympathy, one with him in work, and one with him in danger. He was valuable to Paul. He was also valuable to the Philippians in verse number 25b. He says, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Paul is saying that Epaphroditus is your messenger to me. He comes with your message. He is your messenger to me. And he said, He is my minister. And the context in which this is stated seems to at least suggest that his ministry to Paul came from his personal resources. He was a friend of compassion, verse number 26, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Longing means a great desire. And here's the thing with Epaphroditus. He was concerned about the people of the church in Philippi because they were concerned about him. He was saying, I don't want you worrying about me. And he was worried because they were worrying about him. So he said, he is my messenger. He is your minister. He's a friend of joy. Verse number 28. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy. I have some friends, and probably you do too, that that when you see them coming, you know, they're your friends. And so you're going to take them in But you think, oh, my goodness. In fact, if you see them coming and they don't see that you saw them, sometimes you go the opposite direction. Because they are, you know, there are some people that are just high maintenance. You know, and they they always they always have there's some you know you just have some friends. I mean, they're friends and you love them and all that, but you just sit, sit and not spend a lot of time with them. But then there are other friends who bring joy to you whenever you see them. I mean, you, do you, do you know those people that when you see them, you notice that there's a smile on your face? There are some people whenever I see them, I begin to smile because that's the way they that's the way they affect me. There are some people that that you see coming and they bring great joy to you because they're a blessing to you. That was Epaphroditus. He was a friend of commitment in verse number 29. He said, whole men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. The word risking literally means to expose oneself. Actually, it's a gambler's word. And it means to throw down a stake. That's what the word, it was, a, it was a word that was used of a gambler. And what Paul is saying is that Epaphroditus was willing to risk his own life for me. He was willing to risk himself for me. Let me conclude. Earthly friends are important. They're rare, but they're important. Those people that you can really count on. Those people who really love you. Those people who don't want anything. They just love you. They are very important, but they're rare. They are faithful. Timothy, Epaphroditus, what Paul is saying is they were faithful. They were loyal. They were honest. Thus, they were valuable. Not only to Paul, but to the church. Well, the truth is there are also some friends who are not faithful. Paul had those. When he was in prison, he said to Timothy, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Paul was in prison. If there were a time when he needed his friends to surround him, certainly it would be then. But he said, My friends, these that I had counted on, they deserted me. Folks, I know that you have some friends who like Epaphroditus, you'd give everything for. Them because they enrich your life and bless your life and they made you better. I also know that you probably have some friends that sometimes are disappointing to you. But what I want you to what I want to end with and for you to know is that there is one friend will never disappoint you and that's the Lord Jesus the Bible says in Proverbs 18 24 there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother that is the Lord Jesus do you know him my goodness I'd hate to go through life missing out on the best friend we all know how important friends are but do you know the best friend do you know the Lord Jesus He loves you so much, He gave His life for you. He is willing to forgive you of any and all sin and take you to heaven when that time comes. Do you know Him? Our gracious Father and God, I thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life for us, who loves us. And Father, I, I pray for these who have never come to know Him as Savior, that today they might. Lord, I pray that they might walk within the... The forgiveness that comes from Christ. Lord, in, in, in a, the, the Father, the Heavenly Father, and the Lord Jesus, who is our friend. I pray today that you would bless them in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you have not come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, I encourage you today to commit your life to Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing, you come, I greet you as you do.